0: Have you been in the mood for a pilgrimage lately? Well, I know I have, and so I am heading to England along with editor Mark Michael, and you are invited to come with us. Join the Living Church in the UK. We'll be across the pond May 24th to June 4th, 2023, to learn, laugh, and worship together in places of deep historical and spiritual significance for the Anglican tradition. We're going to travel to some of England's greatest monuments and coziest nooks. What would England be without cozy nooks? We will hear fine choirs, view gardens in bloom, and explore rare masterpieces of sacred art and architecture, all while following the footsteps of our tradition's greatest saints, writers, royals, and mystics. Registration ends December 1st, and spots are filling up, so don't wait to learn more or register now. Click the link in the show notes today.
1: Humor really starts with the virtue of humility. Chesterton said that if he only had one sermon to preach, it would be on pride. And you can't be funny or laugh at things if you're consumed by pride. There's this shared understanding that not only do we understand a performer on stage, therefore we understand each other. It is a very, very beautiful moment of communion when that happens. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal
0: Church and the Anglican Communion since 1878, Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. Objection 1. It would seem that there cannot be a virtue about comedy. For Ambrose says, Our Lord said, Woe to you who laugh. Wherefore, I consider that all, and not only excessive, comedy should be avoided. I answer, that just as man needs bodily rest for the body's refreshment, since his power is finite, so too is it with his soul, whose power is also finite, and the soul's rest is pleasure. Consequently, the remedy for weariness of soul must needs consist in the application of some pleasure. Now, such like words or deeds wherein nothing further is sought than the soul's delight are called playful or humorous. So let's stick some of that in all of our serious problem-solving pipes and smoke it. Happy recent feast of all saints and all souls, dear listeners, and happy All Hallows' Eve if you got out there and had some fun with your neighbor's And my apologies to any Thomas Aquinas scholars out there who noticed the very small liberties, very, very small, that I just took with the Summa Theologica. What hath the saints to do with laughter? That is the question in a nutshell that I pose to my guest today, comedian Jen Fulweiler. Scripture and Christian tradition have much to say about joy, much to say about truth and truth-telling, and much to say about being human and growing into our full humanity before God. And all of these, I propose, are related to humor, laughter, and learning to tell our stories. And I will say that I don't think Thomas would disagree with me too much here. I basically replaced the word fun with the word comedy in the quote above. So yes, even the venerable doctor has something to say about poking fun, having fun, telling jokes, and sharing even the darkest moments of life with grace and with perspective about where this whole messy human Story is leading. Jennifer Fulwiler is a stand up comic bestselling author, former Sirius XM talk show host, and mom of six. Her podcast, This Is Jen, now The Jen Fullweiler Show, debuted in the Comedy Top 10 on iTunes. She is the one-woman show of The Naughty Corner stand-up comedy special and author of Something Other Than God, One Beautiful Dream, and Your Blue Flame. Her books and shows are available online, and we'll provide links to those in the show notes today. And she's on tour. Tickets are on sale at jfcomedytour.com. You can follow her on Instagram at at Jennifer Fulwiler, F-U-L-W-I-L-E-R. We will talk today about stand-up comedy and the saints, about Jen's journey into Christianity, about holiness and laughter, and about the common grace the comedy reveals. And yet, humor must befit the hour and the man. Thank you again, St. Thomas. So, we'll also talk about how truthfulness, maturity, and facing reality can actually make a comedian funnier. Word to the wise if you preach, if you pastor, I would listen to this conversation in that light too. What hath preaching to do with stand up comedy? what might these art forms have in common? Finally, I make passing mention in the podcast of something called blue comedy, and that simply means comedy that you would not listen to in the car with your children or with your parents, actually. You can listen to today's episode with children and parents in the car, but now since it is against reason for a man to be burdensome to others by hindering their enjoyment, God bless you, St. Thomas, we hope you enjoy the conversation. Is this audio only? Yes, this will be audio only. So I had no doubt that your hair would look great today, (laughs) but if you had forgotten to brush it, it would not have been a thing. So Jen, how, how are you and what are you up to these days, Jen? Because it was the middle of the pandemic when you decided to switch career tracks and do stand up comedy and your podcast full time. So has that kind of balanced out pretty well with, you know, work
1: family stuff? You know, we have found a really nice routine. One of the problems is there aren't a lot of models for how to make this work. I didn't know a lot of mothers of six kids who do stand-up comedy touring as a full-time job, and so I didn't have an example of how exactly that would work, but we've actually found a great system that's working well. Jen, thanks so much for joining me today. Yes, delighted to be here. All right. So let's start with a
0: story. You were a happy atheist all your life. What happened, Jen? Why, why did you trouble those philosophical waters? Why would you do that?
1: Yeah. I, you know, A lot of things happened that made me start to question atheism. I, I used to have that silly idea that atheism is for the intelligentsia that people who are just intelligent and a little bit more science-minded... Tend to be atheists. And it was interesting when I started hanging out with my husband and his friends, it piqued my curiosity because my husband, he went to, first of all, it's kind of interesting that he grew up poor and was raised by a single mother, very, very poor, but he ended up going to Yale for college, graduating with honors and then Columbia Law School, Stanford Business School. And he studied in the, in the master's computer science program just for fun while he was in Stanford. Why not? So clearly, yeah exactly so clearly a very smart guy and he he had all these really really just brilliant genius level friends and i began to notice that none of them were atheists none of them these people would have like nuclear physics degrees from harvard and were very dismissive of the concept of atheism and hmm. i just thought that was interesting and then when my first child was born i just i started to see that you can believe in certain truths such as love that you can't prove in a scientific laboratory. And I just realized that I was missing out on a large part of the human experience. Yeah. By having this very strict atheist materialist mindset. So then I just started kind of reading books about religion. And I basically just started doing a lot of reading after that.
0: I've heard you tell stories about your father who had this amazing impact on your life and he was an atheist and he is just this man of incredible integrity who always told you to follow
1: the truth no matter where it led you. Exactly. Yeah. He didn't exactly raise me to be atheist, although, I mean, he he sort of did and he didn't. I mean, he very much thought that that was the correct worldview and we talked about that openly But he always said, seek truth and question assumptions. And that is the most important thing that you can do when evaluating the world and crafting your belief system. Okay.
0: So you were an atheist. You started meeting super smart people who were not atheists and it was kind of shocking you. You were having conversations, you were reading books, and then you had someone in your life who had tons of integrity, was very logical, told you to always look for the thing that is true. So in other words,
1: you are practically C.S. Lewis. Sort of, yeah. I've always related to him. You know, I I always knew him just as the Narnia guy. And when I discovered him at his writings on faith, I could really relate to that guy's story. Well, Jen,
0: I have invited you on here today to chat, among other things, about saints and the life of faith and saintly life. And the reason that I bring this up with you is that I've noticed that you seem to like saints a little bit. Not that it makes you sort of like a weird Catholic to love saints, makes you kind of normal, but I've noticed you've done a lot with the saints, that they're part of your religious and your comedic imagination. Can you just start us off by telling us about this little thing called the saint name generator that you came up with?
1: Uh, Yeah, I did that because there's a tradition among Catholics that sometimes people will draw a saint's name at random just on, of paper to be their patron, which as Catholics think these people pray for us in heaven. We we don't think they have their own magic powers or anything, but they have certain things that you might go to someone who had a certain life experience like yours to ask for their prayers. And I always like that because I am an enormous control freak and I tend (laughs) to get up in my head and I overanalyze everything. So for me, the idea of having something chosen at random helped me just let go of control and overthinking. Just anything that helps me stop thinking and go with the flow is always, I'm going to gravitate to that. And so I just, I used to be a programmer and so I I knew how to program that sort of thing. So I put in a few hundred saints names, wrote the code. And what's kind of fun is uh, if you view the source on the saints name generator website, you can right click on it and click view source. And you'll see the litany of the saints is actually in the code, which is kind of cool. You included the litany of saints in the code. Yeah. Go, go to it and right click and do view source and you'll see it. Jen, I didn't know that you were a geek.
0: I did not know (laughs) that. I love that Easter egg. The way that you describe finding something that's chosen for you as a huge relief, which is a little bit paradoxical. If you love control and then you let somebody else choose stuff for you, that's a huge relief. That's paradoxical, but that's, also, the way that I hear people describe the liturgy when they encounter the liturgy for the first time. Because a lot of people, a lot of our audience are Anglican Christians. We've got some Catholics, some Orthodox, some Pentecostal, dot, dot, dot. But a lot of folks who are listening right now have had an introduction to liturgy as you did at some point in their lives. And they found the liturgy to have this similar calming effect on them. Whereas other people, who maybe grew up in it, might feel it as constraining or, you know, feel it as a bummer. But other people who come to it for the first time really feel that gift. Did did you have a similar experience when you started going to church?
1: Oh, yeah, very much so. Very much so. And and I think because as an atheist, I was very cynical about the whole concept of religion and Christianity. And I was just distrustful of people and their whims controlling religious events. That struck me as a psychologically dangerous landscape. So what I liked about the liturgy is your local guy running this church, your, your local priest or pastor or whatever with liturgy, that he's kind of hemmed in. He can't just do his own thing. And I like that, that you have this ancient tradition. <laughs> and, and I was actually recently thinking too, and another thing that's great about it is if you're in a spiritual dry spell and you're not really Feeling your faith on a deep level, which is an absolutely normal part of the human experience, liturgy gives you the option of going through the motions, which can be very important for those of us who who don't have a natural emotional connection to faith.
0: And let's get those pastors under control. Like, let's just please, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Uh Just
0: please reel this in. Have you listened to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill? No. Okay. This is a whole podcast series. I think Christianity Today put it out. And it's this kind of investigative journalism telling the story about a huge charismatic evangelical megachurch in Seattle that mushroomed and then completely collapsed. And a lot of this was related to the fact that the pastor could kind of do whatever he wanted. And when you say we're not accountable to bishops, we're not accountable to the pope, we're not accountable to dot, 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 You say we're only accountable to God, but then it's so interesting how humans always find another human to represent God to them, whether that's officially received or whether that's something you sort of make up like a a pastor with a charismatic personality.
1: Yeah. And Lamott has a great quote that, uh, you know, you've made God in your image when it turns out he hates all the same people you do.
0: (laughs) But he does.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All
0: right. So. As you're entering into liturgy, one of the first things you're encountering, other than the fact that, whoops, there is a God, he loves you, wow, that changes your life. What was your journey of relating to the saints? Because you're going from there is no God to, well, there is a God, but he's also in three persons. So then we've got three persons to get to know in one God. But then you've also got this whole panoply of relatives that you didn't know you had, both living and dead. And oh, by the way, you have a relationship even with the dead ones. So was that hard right. for you to come to as a new Catholic and a new Christian? or did you take to it like a duck to water or an atheist to Stephen Hawking
1: audiobooks or something? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good analogy. I, I did that one that one was pretty easy because I thought, well, yeah, I mean, if we believe in an afterlife and that people can be alive with Christ in heaven, then, yeah that 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 was an easy sell. It's like if you're going to believe in God at all, then believing that the saints can be aware of what's going on and praying for you that that was pretty easy for me. And I I liked that their stories were you know when you really read about them they're really very they're normal people they're they're mm. complex people with, who have some issues and you know do some weird things. And so I, I I've always been a big fan of story. I come from a long line of Texas storytellers. And so that the idea of bringing, seeing Christianity lived in real people's lives, I I just like those Mm -hmm. stories and I really gravitated to that.
0: Yeah. And this metaphor has been used many times before, but it's sort of like looking up to older brothers and sisters and saying, well, how did they do it first?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I like that. I don't have siblings, so it's hard for me to relate to those analogies, but yeah. No way. No way. Neither does my husband. Yeah. What? Well, you guys are blazing a new trail. Good for you. I know, right?
0: (laughs) New course. Good for you. I completely believe in repopulating the earth. I want this earth stuffed full of humans. I believe that that gives God delight.
1: Yeah, I know. It's funny the anti, you know, the people who say that, humans, are overpopulation. It, it's so, it's like, it's never their friends who are the overpopulation. It's, it's always someone else.
0: <laughs>
1: so tell me if
0: I, I always love to know, well, let me, let me say that as someone who has come to a belief in the communion of saints and having relationships with the saints and relationship with our lady and not being, not being a Catholic or being Eastern Orthodox. And there are listeners to this podcast who are on both sides of that. Some who are more Protestant in that perspective, some who are more Catholic in that perspective. But there's a whole genre, Jen, of stories of people who are, I mean, they are Protestants. They have no doubt in their minds that that's what they are. But they have these profound experiences that are really hard for them to explain. Other than that, a saint is trying to get their attention or a saint is trying to talk to them Or, whoops, I saw the Virgin Mary. What am I supposed to do now, you know? So I wonder if you have any stories of your own about encounters.
1: It doesn't have to be anything too wild and crazy, but I'm open to wild and crazy. Well, I mean, certainly when I was first converting, I I felt like St. Francis of Assisi was trying to get my attention. I didn't know much about him. And so I, I felt so inspired to learn more about him that my husband and I were on vacation and we stopped by a bookstore. And I happened to see that that, that day, <clears throat> the day this was happening, was St. Francis's Feast Day, which is also our wedding anniversary, which was no, crazy. No, way. And, and then we, we were on a road trip and we went to visit this camp that my husband had gone to as a child. And it was run by a lovely Protestant couple. And we walked inside their house and the woman's theme of decorating was St. Francis, it, which is so interesting because they're evangelical. But all throughout her house, it was St. Francis, everything. And of course, I had no idea. I'd never met her before. But earlier that day, I had felt like St. Francis was trying to get my attention. So yeah, that's crazy. So when he finally got your attention, what did he want to say to you? I think it was helping me gain a new understanding of Christianity because I, I still had a lot of my old cynical beliefs about Christianity and people being kind of fake pious and, and and just the idea that when he wanted to see reform in the world he started with himself that that was just such a, a humble beautiful witness for me and it was real it was real antidote to the cynicism that i had developed <laughs> regarding this religion
0: wow and would you say that this tenderizing or this kind of breaking down of cynicism is is one of the main things that the saints have done for you how they've helped you or inspired you what have been the doctors orders for saints in your life
1: obviously in this social media age it is easy to get cynical about your fellow believers because you often see their worst behavior on the internet oh. and of course we all know we shouldn't we shouldn't judge any group of people by what you see on the internet but it is easy to forget that on a daily basis and so I, I can sort of retreat into the lives of the saints to see what this is actually supposed to look like <laughs> instead of instead of what it does look like many times.
0: Yeah, yeah. Are there particular historical moments that produced a certain number of saints that when you read or you pray or you venerate relics or whatever, that you you start noticing that there are certain periods of time that maybe could really speak to the times that we're in. One thing for me is I, when I think about what things were like during the pandemic, I was thinking a lot about what things were like during World War II or when World War II was just kind of gearing up, which was a time of great turmoil in Western civilization. But it's also this time where all of these amazing Christian writers were coming out of the woodworks C.S. Lewis, T.S. Eliot, J.R.R. Tolkien—I mean, the whole Inklings clan, plus a bunch of beautiful poetry and and philosophy and great thinkers—is. Are there any moments in history or any times when saints are shooting up that you think we could use? We could use a look at that right now.
1: Well, actually, speaking of the Saint Francis, I mean, when you read about the time that Francis of Assisi lived in it was a disaster i mean the the church was a disaster there was a, i think i read that there were a couple of local bishops that they excommunicated each other because they were <laughs> in such a war with each other and and so he and his whole group of people i believe saint dominic was a contemporary of his and so you see these two great orders being founded the dominicans and the franciscan's during that time and it i think people don't understand what a chaotic time that was. And and that's why, you know, God gave St. Francis the message, Francis rebuild my church. As you can see, it is falling down. And that's why, because it was a disaster. There was so much infighting and just so much negativity. And so, yeah, that, that is definitely a time period that comes to mind. By the way, as an aside, one of the things I, I like about Francis's story is that he, I mean, he, I, you can kind of make the case that he got the message a little bit wrong, you see that god was having him rebuild the actual church with a capital c uh-huh. but he, he took that message and he started hauling rocks over to the church that w- which he was in was literally falling down and it, it's just a good example of how we don't need to overthink things in the spiritual life just hmm. do what seems right in the moment and God will work out his plan as long as you maintain a a humble heart and you're just doing what seems to be the next right thing with a humble heart.
0: That's totally right. God is, God is not a perfectionist and I'm so happy that he's not a perfectionist. Yeah. Right. It's just such a relief. I did want to also give a plug for a podcast episode that you did in July of 2020 called I'm gearing up to hate fireworks. Oh yeah. (laughs) I think this one was one of my introductions to your work and made me realize, oh, she's got this interesting take on the saints, but everyone should go find this because it has Jen talking about St. Ignatius. You get this really nice biography of St. Ignatius and also a suggestion. What is that suggestion, Jen?
1: Oh, yeah. So, you know, I live in Texas where people will just set off illegal fireworks all hours. They don't care about the law or whatever. And so I thought, you know, since they have no regard for what their neighbors might care about noise and, you know, making noise constantly, I thought, you know, I'll celebrate St. Ignatius Day because St. Ignatius uh, came to a much deeper faith and became the saint that he eventually was after he was injured by a cannonball. Mm. So I said in that podcast, maybe I will start celebrating St. Ignatius Day, which I believe is around July 25th, and I will set off a cannon all night. And if my neighbors complain about it, I can be like, oh, no, no, remember the 4th of July? No, noise at all hours of the night is fun, guys. Happy St. Ignatius Day. Absolutely. Everyone, the
0: and Jen, the sound effects. I don't know who did this, who put in the sound effects for that. Was that you or was that? Oh, yeah, that's my radio background. Yeah, I know how to do all those sound effects and stuff. Jen, the sound effects were just 50% of the whole, I was
1: in stitches. I don't want to say much more except just the sound effects, the sound effects. That used to be on my radio show, an annual tradition that I would do that. So I need to bring that back.
0: Yes, please do. Well, that kind of transitions me to my next question for you, which is about faith and comedy. You have a vocation as a comedian, among other things, and, Personally, I'm convinced that they need each other. I mean, Lord, please give all of our pastors a sense of humor. Make someone on every church staff a funny person. Things would be so lovely. Staff meetings, the way that churches operate, the strategic plans. Senses of humor help all these things. They help church services when things go wrong. I have a friend who grew up Catholic in India, and he was mad at one of the priests. He was seven or eight years old. He was an altar boy. And in the middle of the service, he was just filled with rage about whatever it was. He was mad at the priest for it was some silly thing he runs up <laughs> to the altar and punches the priest in the oh, arm wow wow <laughs> that's great and everyone just laughs and it's like that is that is what we need cuz obviously god has a sense of humor like have you ever read the bible have you ever seen a human being <laughs> right the old testament right. is full of puns, you know, Jesus had perfect comedic timing in his, you know, his zingers and his sermons. And I mean, even the canon of scripture, uh, *Commedia*, and you know, this in the, in the most literal sense, just basically means happy ending. So yeah. Dante's divine comedy, the canon of scripture, the history of the cosmos is a comedy in the fullest sense of the word. So how do you see, Jen, comedy and faith interacting in your own life, which maybe which came first or are there ever moments of conflict when you think whoopsie daisy, maybe comedy and faith aren't so compatible after all, what's been your story?
1: Oh yeah. I think they absolutely are. They're both so good for each other. I, I live in Austin and so I'm in the Austin comedy scene. So I see what happens when atheists do comedy and it's pretty grim because comedy, it has to be predicated on truth. Jokes don't work. If your premise is simply a false view of the world, that it's just not there's nothing funny to bounce off of there. So you have to have some concept of what is true about life and morality in the world in order to be funny. And then on the other hand, I think humor is so good for faith because humor is predicated on humility. If you are very full of yourself and you don't trust God, therefore you think you have to control everything and everything has to be perfect. Well, you don't have much of a sense of humor. And hu- humor really starts with the virtue of humility, which is such a, it's it's a key virtue. It's the antidote to pride. You know, Chesterton said that if he only had one sermon to preach, it would be on pride. Hmm. Pride act- absolutely kills our relationship with God. And you can't be funny or laugh at things if you're consumed by pride.
0: And they say the one
1: thing the devil can't stand
0: is to be laughed at. And that makes perfect sense to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How has your sense of humor developed over time? And I ask that because as you were saying that humor shares the same root with humility, I was thinking of my own spiritual journey. I could literally track, Jen, a moment in my life where I was in my early 20s. Life is hard, okay? It's life. It's hard for everyone in their early 20s, but being just sort of so stressed about everything, about life, about the world, very angsty, very forclamped, And this coincided with a time in which I sort of prided myself on it being really hard to make me laugh. I sort of had this very developed sense of humor and only the special people could make (laughs) me laugh. And then God started working in my life in some really beautiful ways. And the more I can track, the more that my discipleship deepened, the less verklempt I became. And also my sense of humor got way better. And, And one of those things is just recognizing how many different kinds of people and things are funny, not just to make fun of them. Although of course, sometimes we make fun of things because things can be funny. (laughs) You need to laugh at yourself, but realizing that people, for example, with, with a very dry wit or people who are shy, just things that aren't me are also there in the universe. And they also are sources of joy. So these things coincided for me. Does that resonate with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I had a very similar experience. And and I think that faith really just opens you up to the human experience, yeah, on a deep level and of course that that just leads you to more humor as well.
0: Yes. Okay, so Jen, one one problem. Here's a here's a little problem. We've we've gone through all the reasons some of the reasons comedy and faith really complement each other, go together. But if you read the church fathers in the west and in the east, you get a lot of warnings against too much laughter. What do we make of that? Have you ever come across that? And
1: what do you make of of those warnings to not laugh too much? That's interesting. I think what they are probably getting at is there are different reasons we laugh. And certainly I see sometimes going to these comedy clubs that people use laughter as a way to just get immersed in vulgarity and to not think critically about things and to avoid their problems. I can track with what the church fathers are saying there, that if you are laughing in a sort of knee-jerk, cynical way at just dumb stuff that has no depth, I would say that is a different type of laughter than if someone is Saying something of value, but they are saying it in a funny way. So, for example, I I find Chesterton hilarious. I, when you read his writings on faith, they're they're just wonderful and they're very funny. And that's a very different type of humor than a man on a comedy stage at a dive bar making jokes about his genitalia. <laughs> you know, I think I think there are different types of laughter, and I see how the you know, laughing at vulgarity is something that probably does not enhance anyone's life that much.
0: I've experienced that too. My sister did stand-up comedy for a while, and she was always so good, not because she was the most experienced there or because she got the most laughs, but she wouldn't even necessarily call herself a Christian at the time, but she was very organized for one thing. She made notes. She memorized a set, okay? And she had a system where she'd start with a hook. And then at the end, she'd come back to the original hook. I mean, it was, I noticed this. It was as a writer, it was all very organized. Yeah, that's well done. And she would try to say something real and true. We grew up in a pastor's home and she had several more really difficult experiences than I did. And so she does struggle with some cynicism and some anger and and all these things, even against God, but that wasn't the opportunity for her to kind of air her grievances she did want to say how she actually felt how she saw things how they were true but she did want to stick to a truth that wasn't weighted down with her own with her own pain i think jen she sort of wanted to get outside of herself in a way and tell a good story
1: yeah I, and that that is i think humor can be very cathartic in that sense that you have to be self-aware and you have to step outside of your own experience in order to process it into humor. And and I think that can be really valuable.
0: Oh my gosh. People listening to this podcast right now who regularly write sermons, re-listen to the podcast and listen to everything that could apply to also writing (laughs) sermons. Yeah. Hey guys, speaking of preaching, we've got a new spin on a resource you've heard about before. The Living Word Plus is a weekly sermon prep tool for liturgical preachers to enrich your time, to save you time, and it now comes with an annual subscription option. You asked for it, now we have it. The Living Word is endorsed by the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, and it is used by a variety of folks in the Anglican family, as well as others who use the revised common lectionary, Catholic and Protestant alike. Really neat tool, ecumenical, subscribe, click, one and done for the whole year. It saves you over 15% a year on the normal price and it's easier to expense to your discretionary fund. And now through December 1st, take an additional 15% off. That is 30% off total. Click the link in the show notes and the extra 15% expires December 1st. So hurry on up and take advantage of this deal. So this, this actually connects to something else I was curious about, which is the stereotype that comedians are people who are like the walking wounded and that they work out their wounds and their pain on the stage. Surely comedy doesn't always come from a place of pain, as you've at least suggested. If it doesn't, how does the pain relate to it? And, you know, like does a more healed comedian, let's say every comedian in the world all of a sudden today was a true pious follower of Jesus Christ as Lord and receiving the life of God, would they be better comedians?
1: Maybe not. And that's, I mean, I, I do think that there, <laughs> I've never known, I've never known a comedian who's not a psychological disaster, myself included. <laughs> so no, I think there's, that is an absolutely true stereotype. And there are some like Sebastian Maniscalco, is, he seems to be a pretty sane guy. And, you know, his comedy is a lot about Growing up with an Italian father and the tension between immigrants and it, it's lovely and it doesn't seem to be, you know, from a place of, of deep pain. So it's certainly possible, but humor definitely comes from tension. So there mm. has to be tension in your life in some way or another in order to generate comedy, because that that's really all comedy is, is just the the upping and then the release of tension.
0: Mm, yeah, I, I was just thinking something really similar, which is that it, you know, comedy can come from a place of joy. Obviously, joy is involved or should be involved. It can come from a place of pain, but it really—that's not really where it happens. It sort of happens in this contradictory space between maybe the way things are and the way that they should be.
1: Right. Exactly. So yeah. So I would say if you're if you're really deep in the life of Christ, you could still be funny, but probably the topics that you would discuss would be a little different. Yes, they
0: probably would be. As as you're inhabiting this kind of sp- this space of contradiction, and and you're in many ways making a living in that space. Uh, and you're, you know, you've been in in this world for a long time. I, I just spoke with someone who's a musician who's also a priest who was talking about the similarities between performance and being in ministry and the the spiritual disciplines and how they contribute to both. So have you seen Jen ways that the disciplines or even just other things surrounding being in the comedy world can contribute to holiness to wholeness, to saintliness?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think anytime anyone follows a god-given dream, something that they're meant to do, you will be so humbled so quickly. Sometimes people don't follow their dreams because they worry about pride. They say, well, that, that would be prideful if I tried to really seek excellence in this Thing that God has called me to, and I always tell people, "Oh no, the the exact opposite." And by the time God is done with you, you will not have a shred of pride <laughs> left because it, it's hard. Following any dream is hard, and so I certainly in the work that I do, I mean, it, it's like I live the litany of humility every single day, and and that's good. It it has been a very good thing for my spiritual life to just let go and let God and look at it like I i am I'm am just going to do what I can do on my end. and I just i I have no choice but to trust God with the outcome. I'd like to not trust God with the outcome. I'd like to control it myself, but that doesn't work. So I have to I, I have to just turn it over to God. and that has been a very, very powerful spiritual lesson.
0: And I'll say too, that comedians that have humility, I think also can have the right kind of vulnerability. So instead of yeah. picking the, the low hanging fruit of the one night stand I had with that person who, you know, maybe now I think was not that attractive. So I'm going to tell you the story or whatever it may be, or your, you know, or your own addictions or whatever those things may be. There's a kind of vulnerability that's appropriate where you get glimpses. I don't know how to put it, Jen, almost of like the child in the person or there's a there's a really deeply human connection that can be made when you're not guarded in the right ways. Does that make sense to you?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a comedian right now. Her name is Taylor Tomlinson and everyone's talking about her new Netflix special. I haven't watched it yet, but one of the things that people often comment on is that in her comedy special, she discusses that her mother died when she was a teenager. And evidently she somehow makes that funny. But that does sound very endearing to me that she's exploring a a very real and a very deep and human experience. This is not surface-level jokes about being on Tinder. This is something much deeper and and richer and more interesting. And I think that goes into that kind of healthy laughter that we were discussing earlier, that that, there's something very cathartic and healthy about finding moments of levity even in the darkest topics.
0: And making that human connection and it helps make us more human. It has to be that the Holy spirit is involved in in that kind of thing. Like no doubt about it. So then what about comedy that is really vulgar or people are swearing a lot, or they're talking a little too much about their sex lives in the, you know, wrong kinds of ways, you know, your kids, you would not invite your children into the room. Um, what, is there any def- is there any like apology we can make for that is there any defense or like what would be the grace in an act that's super super blue
1: for instance i think one of the great things about comedy is that for it to work you have to feel like you know this person on some level and that they are showing you a truly authentic side of themselves that that's one of the most brilliant and interesting things about comedy is you cannot fake it. You cannot fake who you are in comedy. You will bomb so fast mm. e- even if you have the best material. You could you could have, you know, Richard Pryor from back in the 80s writing your jokes, you'd still bomb if you're not showing a, a truly authentic side of yourself. So I have seen some comedians, they're very vulgar. That I mean every other word is an f-bomb and you know their their material is vulgar, but you sense that this is really who they are. Like one of them, that this person grew up in foster care and was had a variety of abuse in their life. And they. this is just a person who, they've just been through everything. So yeah, this guy does not do clean comedy. He sure doesn't. And he goes into some pretty dark topics, but you get the sense that, this man is speaking authentically mm. to his experience of the world. And there is something humanizing about that. And and it helps me understand that as, as someone who did not have a background like that, it helps me feel like I know someone with this experience. And it and, and there is this moment of almost communion where I mm. am I'm laughing. He's making me laugh and it's brilliant. And you know, all the neurons are firing in my brain, and I'm having this moment of connection with him even though you know we have nothing in common in terms of our background. And so that can be a beautiful thing. Now that said, there, there are, I would say, 90% of comedians who are vulgar, it is not an authentic expression. It, 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 they're just trying to get cheap laughs. So I, I'm not saying that I categorically think it's great when people are super vulgar, but I have seen people who do vulgar sets that it does seem like this is just authentically who they are and where they are in life right now. And I think it can actually be a pretty interesting way to explore another person's lived experience.
0: Wow. And and I, I just love this description of the moment of communion that you're having with this comedian who's who's got a very different life from you and who has, a, in some ways, a different approach to comedy than you do. By the way, you can— Always have your children in the car when you're listening to the Jen Fullweiler show, I think. You can always have your children in the car. So they do have a different approach to, to the way that they do their comedy. But I remember this when I was in seminary, I took this class on pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And it was taught by a man who works with a lot of artists, and he himself is a musician, And he's trying to describe these, I think the topic of speaking in tongues came up one day, or charismatic gifts, which, you know, people are like, oh, that's so weird. We don't, you know, we don't want the Holy Spirit to do anything too weird. But the Holy Spirit does weird things all the time. We just don't notice because we're used to them and they're natural. And one of the examples he gave, which is brilliant, was jazz. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Interruptive. And then he said another thing, even more mundane, is a human laugh. No other animal Ah. makes this sound. It's not like talking. It's most akin to crying actually, but it's this cry that comes from inside you that at its best is a cry of joy, a cry of connection, of communion. And it is just funny sounding and everyone has a different one. And if you just recorded a bunch of humans laughing and played it to aliens, they would be like, Whoa, you know, this this is the work of God. This is super weird. We don't want any of this speaking in tongues stuff around here. It's just like, right, right.
1: like yeah. a charismatic moment. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought of that. And and you really feel that. I I recently saw a show of a of a comedian and he was talking about having a a Jewish mother. And, you know, obviously that's not my background, but I there was just something that it, it was this beautiful moment of i know this experience even though i didn't live it i i know what he is talking about and and i i was just laughing so hard i was wiping tears out of my eyes i was laughing so hard and it was the only way to describe it is communion and it was very deeply humanizing that i as a human being in that moment felt so deeply connected to this man's experience. And it was just so positive and so beautiful. And I thought, you know, this is why this art form is good and matters because it mm. does, if it's done well, it bonds us together and it is deeply humanizing. And, and in fact, one thing on it, on bonding us together, one thing we learned the hard way during COVID is that comedy simply or stand-up comedy when you're that sort of storytelling joke comedy. it does not work unless you have a group of people together. People tried to do zoom comedy, Zoom oh, stand up during oh. the pandemic. It did not work. A lot of a lot of, sort of graveyard of comedians who mm. tried to go into zoom stand up. and i I see an analogy to the liturgy there that you it's better with more people who are physically close together in one room. That is the only way that stand-up comedy works. Imagine trying to do a stand-up set for two people in a room. It, it, it's weird. It, that's not how it's meant to be done. And so you do really have these beautiful moments of communion when everyone in the room is getting it at the same time. There and, and so there's this shared understanding that not only do we understand a performer on stage, but hey, wait, look around. Everyone else is laughing. Therefore, we understand each other it is a very, very beautiful moment of communion when that happens.
0: I also thought of of the somehow the whole being greater than the sum of its parts when you have
1: yeah. an audience. Yeah.
0: It's it's a yeah. bunch of people gathered, but also there's something extra that happens. <laughs> there's this like a bunch yeah. of people together with their own presences also creates its own presence, which is inter- so fascinating. I've never thought I about love that. that before, that's, Jen. That's a great way to phrase it.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to phrase it.
0: So now that we're here in liturgy once again, do you see what you do as a ministry in any way? Have you made any converts, Jen?
1: Yeah, I see it as I do have. I feel like I have a God-given mission. A friend of mine is an archbishop, and he he analogized it to. He said, "In the church militant, you're like the special ops team. He's like, <laughs> you're not wearing the standard uniform. You're you're go you're going down in the trenches, and you're you're the one who." you bring the people back to you know to the to the regular but army. should we give you a gun right I might need one at some of these bars okay. that I can go to okay and so yeah I I I very much feel a sense of mission that I think that for people who are really lost and very far away from faith they will not listen to anything religious they're just not interested they have shut down to it but they might listen to comedy and comedy is a great way to just tell our stories because mm. it makes it palatable, palatable. It's like the spoonful of sugar. You know? And I when I looked around at the comedy landscape, I noticed that no one was telling the stories of people from my demographic, women who were actively raising children and raising a lot of children who go to church on Sundays. I mean, honestly, there are like three of us working in the entire comedy industry. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. How much we're just not represented, yeah. And so, so yeah, I very much feel a sense of mission to get the voices of people like us into the wider marketplace of ideas. And one of the ways to do that is comedy, in it. So that's that's my mission.
0: Yeah, a lot of comedians very appropriately are speaking from the fringe. Like we need to hear voices from. The, from the fringe, from people who have had tough childhoods, from folks who you know represent things that are off the beaten track of religion. We need all of these stories. And often these are voices that in, in some places, like in the Christian world, maybe aren't as loud or heard, or we think, oh, I've heard that story before of the person who used to be a Christian and now is not because this and that happened. But every story is unique. So every person needs to be heard but it never occurred to me before that maybe like we also need some like norm core comedy (laughs) where it's people who are speaking about the stuff that is, is not on the fringe for everyone. And so that we're hearing stories from the whole spectrum of people's
1: experiences. Yeah. And I think, I mean, in comedy, I am considered very fringe. And I think maybe even in mainstream Ah. America, because I had six babies in eight years, that's an alternative lifestyle. Nobody does that. And so that, that I don't seem normal to these people. So I think they would lump me in, in in the fringe comics. And that that's a good thing that I want. I very much want to share that perspective of what philosophy led me to make those decisions. I think it's a good one. And but that that voice is not currently out there in the kind of mainstream secularized marketplace of ideas. So the new tagline for Jen's podcast is, I don't seem normal. The Jen Fulweiler Show. Yeah. Well,
0: I've been speaking today with comedian and podcaster, Jennifer Fulweiler. Jen, thank you so much for the gift of
1: your time. It's been such a joy. It has been such a pleasure. I love what you're doing and keep up the great work.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. Do not forget that Jen is on tour. You can see her in real life. Tickets are on sale at jfcomedytour.com and follow her on Instagram at, at Jennifer Fulweiler. Get yourself back on here in two weeks. I will be conducting an exit interview with our newly former executive director, who's moving on. After 12 years, Dr. Christopher Wells we will talk about his time at TLC, some good memories. The history of this ministry, what's been exciting, and what next. Until then, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been good to be with you. Peace.